Hi, I'm Hayley. And I'm Fiona. And welcome Welcome to What the IVF. Today is an extremely special episode. Today we are joined by an incredibly special guest and quite possibly one of the strongest women that we have had the pleasure of speaking with and you'll definitely soon understand why I'm saying that. Her name is Rachel Casella and she is the author of Mackenzie's Mission. Welcome to What the IVF, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so excited to speak to you guys. Thank you so much for wanting to hear my story. Absolutely. I can't wait Absolutely. to. It's just, it's such an incredible story. I actually rewrote the introduction in, in how I was going to introduce you several times because it's it's almost impossible to put into words what you have been through on your journey to starting a family. For for those people who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about Mackenzie and Mackenzie's mission. Yeah, sure. So uh, my husband, Jonathan, or I call him Johnny, my husband, Johnny and I, um, we we're very keen to start a family because we had met a little bit later in life. We met when I was, I just turned 30. Um, we got married in, what was it, February 2016. And on our honeymoon, we started trying four babies. Oh, I was ovulating on my honeymoon that. and I was like, perfect, let's do it. That's amazing. Um, we didn't get pregnant that first, um, that first time. And... We actually found out that I was ovulating really early. I'm quite a type A person and um, I actually was getting ovulation tracking through Janaea, which is wonderful if anyone is unsure. It's like a, I think Medicare covers three months of it and it gives you blood tests and allows you to actually know when you're ovulating because most people assume it's around day 14, but I was actually ovulating on day eight. Oh, oh wow. wow. So really early. So we wow. were missing it by a week. We could have um, definitely used that. We were oh. just going in quite blind, I think. Yeah, we definitely could have yeah. used that. I think a lot of people don't realise and they just sort of naturally assume that that's when it happens, but it's, it's different for everyone. And, yeah, we were just having sex at the wrong time. So once we found out with ovulation tracking, um, when I actually ovulated, we got pregnant that first month. But, um, Unfortunately, we had a miscarriage with our baby, um, a little baby that we ended up calling Hope, just for what he or she represented to us. Um, it was a miscarriage probably about six weeks, so very common, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but we tried getting pregnant straight away the next month, um, and I got pregnant with Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. And my pregnancy with her was, perfect like I had the back pain that I had previously um had gone I was wanting fruit like fruit salad which is very unlike me um (laughs) I felt on this little bubble of bliss um Mackenzie was born on the 11th of March 2017 um it was a bit of a intense birth it was 40 hours of labor two hours of pushing and an emergency C-section in the end. Oh my um, god! After all that. <sighs> after all that. Um, but I was, I was so stressed today. Like I didn't go in with the birth plan. I was like, let's just get this healthy baby. So I was fine with everything, and um, she was perfect in every single way. Um, unfortunately, um, it didn't stay perfect. And at 10 weeks old, we had a lactation consultant note to us that Mackenzie didn't have the strength 
everything was a bit floppy. Um, what came from there was just this spiral. Within two days of that lactation consultant mentioning that, we had gone to a GP, a paediatrician, and then a neurologist. And Mackenzie was diagnosed with a genetic condition called spinal muscular atrophy. And we were told that it was terminal and that we would likely lose her around eight months old. And there was nothing we could do. Oh, my God. My heart. I honestly, my heart absolutely aches for you. I just, I, I, I mean, there's, I have so many questions and I, and I, I just, the first one being, you know, that, that point in time, how how do you process something so incredibly uh, tough and then face what is seven months ahead of you of what is going yeah. to be such an extremely traumatic time to be with your beautiful child and know that they're not around forever? Yeah, it was um, just so many people along the way sort of just saying, I don't know how you survived, I wouldn't have been able to, but you just don't get a choice. Um, like, and just the idea of being told those words, I can still put myself back in the doctor's office and I don't know how, I don't know how I didn't just, I feel like my heart should have stopped and I should have died on the spot because I just don't understand how I was supposed to get that information and process it and continue living. But somehow my body still kept breathing and... When you walked out of the office and took her home, and I don't even know how we processed it. Um, for a few days, I didn't, I didn't really move from the couch. I just held her in the hopes that um, if I held her, maybe they would take me instead, and I could swap with her. Um, I don't know how. I don't know how we got through it, but. Every day we kind of woke up and slowly after probably a week of just this sheer confusion and panic and torture, we looked at her and we just saw this beautiful little face smiling up at us. She had these beautiful big blue eyes that were really expressive and these beautiful dimples and we realised that she didn't know what was happening. Yeah. All she knew was how we felt and because they're so... You know, intuitive and they pick up on the emotions and we just think we can't be like this for her we've got her for you know we were being told SMA babies live possibly until two years but the usual average was eight months so we were being told that we probably had six months with her yeah. and so we just knew that we needed to make it the best six months for her and we could fall apart later you are incredible I, I just don't even know what to say really it's hard, hard to yeah, hard to put into words what what you've been through. But what I will say is that you, after Mackenzie's passing, you have picked yourself back up and turned her life into such a huge purpose in starting Mackenzie's mission. And this genetic, um, this genetic screening process that you have advocated for and have now got ten thousand couples going through it and funded. It's, you know, it's just incredible to and your resilience to, to get to that point and to pick yourself up from from that traumatic process is, yeah, words. It's hard to put into words, but uh, when you look when you look back on it and know that you have done this, is do you feel like Mackenzie is kind of shining, looking down on you, going, 
you know, I, I've given something back to this world. 100%. It's taken me a really long time. I think I started Mackenzie's mission out of, like, when, I, when I'm honest with myself, I think that I actually started Mackenzie's mission out of anger. Yeah. Um, I found learning about genetics and learning that what happened to us happens every day to other people and that it's kind of slipped under the rug because it's a difficult conversation. Um, I got really angry um, to know that what Mackenzie was going through, that she didn't have to go through. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of it was driven by anger and just sort of wanting to scream her name to the world um, because anyone who's lost someone, but especially a child, you feel like they're going to become a dream and that no one else will remember them except for you. And so... I think I wanted to change things mostly so other people didn't have to go through what we went through, but because I saw a huge fault in how we do something and that's around genetics and um, screening people because the scary thing is, is that every single one of us carries three to five genetic conditions in our DNA that we can pass on to our children, but we don't know that and we're not told that when we're preparing to have a child. You know, we speak about chromosome conditions like Down syndrome, but they don't talk about the genetic conditions that we pass down from family to family. And those conditions you mentioned, they're not tested in the NIPT test, the, the Harmony test as people call it? No, so chromosome conditions, are, that's what's picked up um, in the NIPT test. Yep. And it's wonderful that over the years that we've become, uh, you know, become sort of normal process for people to be offered that. Um, But genetics is inside those chromosomes. So chromosomes are developed in a baby at conception and they get one pair from the um, one pair from the mum, one pair from the dad and that's how the chromosomes are created. But the genes are what's inside those chromosomes and they're passed down and it's not screened for in nets. It's something that you actually have to be tested for as a parent, not testing the child um, before you get pregnant. So something that we really wanted to, to pass on. And over the time, I've realised that, you know, maybe maybe this was Mackenzie's purpose and maybe, you know, she could be something that we needed, that this world needed. And I just feel like, you know, I gave birth to my hero and... I'm really proud to be a mum. Yeah, you are. She is a little hero. She is, and she she's changing the world. She's made making the world a much better place. So after Mackenzie, um, you obviously you mentioned to us that you went down a path of IVF. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the reasons behind moving on to IVF and your experiences? Yeah, sure. So um, we didn't actually need IVF to get pregnant. Um, I, very luckily, Johnny and I are a fertile couple together. Um, you know, we have been pregnant a um, number of times, um, but we needed IVF because of that genetic condition mm-hmm. that both Johnny and I carry. So we both carry SMA, which is why it got unlocked in Mackenzie actually um, being affected by it. And so to be able to make sure that our future babies and her siblings didn't have SMA as well, we needed to go through IVF where 
In IVF, we create embryos just like a normal couple, but on day five, when the embryo starts hatching, they can actually take a few cells from what would be the placenta, and then they can test those cells. And for that, they can do two things. They can check for chromosome conditions, which is something that they're starting to regularly do for people who have multiple miscarriages, so they can see... Um, rather than putting back embryos that have chromosome conditions, they put back healthy ones, but they can also test for specific genetic conditions. And so for us, in our case, they were being able to test for SMA. So um, not everyone has the hard journey when it comes to um, IVF. With, they call it PGD or PGF testing. Um, but for us, we've gone through nine rounds of IVF. Oh um, we've had, yeah, that's nine stim rounds. Um, we've had eight egg collections because one of the rounds is cancelled because I got deep vein thrombosis. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, we have transferred four embryos. Um, we have been pregnant. Um, Johnny and I have been pregnant five times. Um, twice I've had pregnancies in the last two years that have got to 14 weeks, but um, they were not healthy genetically. Wow. Um, so we had to medically interrupt those pregnancies and say goodbye at 14 weeks. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we have uh, – that kind of led to them discovering that I also had stage 4 endo, which they think that the IVF actually created. Oh, um, my goodness. You know, they think the high levels of estrogen in IVF um, may have contributed to that. So it was having struggles for – transferring that was sort of the issues that it was causing but we finally um transferred our fourth embryo and i'm currently 12 weeks pregnant so very hopeful that we get a little bit of a happy oh my goodness i have never hoped for anyone to have a happy ending more in my life i just it is yeah it is just astounding the the um, hurdles that you have gone through. What has your support network been like, and who has been your your support network? Obviously, no doubt Johnny has been a huge support. But going through all that, yeah. and how did you find friends and family were through throughout all this? Uh, I actually write quite a bit about grief and how people handle grief or tragedy um, in the book, but. It's been varied. Um, it, we, I, I lost my best friend. She walked away because um, when Mackenzie had passed away because it was, I guess, too much. I'm not really quite sure. We never really, never really got an explanation. But wow. I've, so I've had other friends that, you know, they haven't known exactly what to do. Um, some people have sort of fumbled their way through it. Some people have stepped back. But we've also had really beautiful people step forward. Um, Johnny has been, like, he's just everything. I'm so, I still think I'm a lucky person despite all of this. I still call myself lucky because I've got a beautiful family. Johnny is everything. Um, I'm so lucky to have had Mackenzie because I'm a far better person for having her. But I know it's really strange, but I've also had so much from Instagram. And yeah. that's the last place that I would have thought. I just started posting because I wanted to tell the word about Mackenzie, and I think I had you know yeah. fifty followers or something. 
So then slowly this community grew and we're sharing and I just never felt so supported by these beautiful, mostly women just have bad days, they cheer me on, I have good days, they cheer me on. Like they're just, yeah. I know, I know that feeling. I know exactly how that feels. I remember, um, yeah, posting on days when I've struggled and just the comments and women sharing their stories and, you know, just it just made me feel so much better and so less alone. Like it was just yeah. – It's incredible that a stranger, like someone that you've never met, can be so – give you that that feeling that you, you aren't alone, that you've got that support. Mm. It is really – It's huge and, I mean, not everyone in my life really understands because I'm not usually a sharer. I mean, I'm a police officer, so I'm not really used to having a social media presence, but – um, and not everyone really understands that, but what I get from it, um, I don't think I could give that up because it's just been so incredible and I'm really, really thankful. And I, I, like I said, I feel lucky. I have personally loved reading your posts. Um, I, I think how vulnerable you are is something to be so admired because not many people, I mean, I know people who go through IVF and just don't talk about it at all, full mm-hmm. stop, which is everyone's different. And um, But I have admired your vulnerability throughout everything that you've been through. I actually read, you wrote in one of your, your posts that you were exceptionally anxious about going into a scan because of all the, the mm-hmm. past troubles that you've had. How when it comes to the mental side of things, how have you dealt with everything? Um, I'm very honest in that when Mackenzie was first diagnosed, I started on Lexapro um, and antidepressant, um, anti-anxiety. It's just a average Joe um, sort of anti-anxiety tablet um, at a low dose. But um, I went on that early and I tell people about it because I really dislike the stigma around it um, in that if you sprain your ankle, you're going to wrap it up and use a crutch until it's better. So um, I'm honest about the fact that I use that and I find that to be really helpful in that it doesn't take away any emotions at all. It just makes them probably a little bit more manageable. Um, yeah. So I don't feel like I'm drowning every day. Yeah. Um, I did, I was going to a psych, uh, to a grief specialist um, early on. I don't anymore because um, I feel like I've got my own processes. Um, it's, it's really hard. Like I have, I have my things that I need to do with Mackenzie every day Um, and and there's a lot of surprise emotions that come out like, um, you know, I found out that we're having a little boy, which I'm so thrilled about, but then it hit me when I was sitting in her room saying goodnight to her like I do every night. What about her stuff? What about her clothes? And, And then I start to think, oh no, what if I... What if I get really sleep deprived and I'm really tired and I forget to say goodnight to Mackenzie one night? Like, what if I'm not going to be a good mom to her as well? And there's a lot of emotions that come out that I was really, that I haven't been able to expect. And I think I go through them by acknowledging them. I'm honest with myself and with other people. I'm gentle on myself in that I don't, I let myself sort of process them. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, it's hard. Like the anxiety around scans and medical, I feel like I've actually developed a bit of PTSD around that. Yeah. Um, I almost go into full panic attacks before I go into anything medical these days. Yeah, gosh. Um, but... I know that I would be worse if I gave up and I didn't walk in there. So that's how I go through it. How does Johnny go with all this? How does he, I, I mean, it's, I know obviously it's extremely hard going through this yourself, but for Johnny, him, how has he gone through the the latest pregnancy and, and the, the attempts through IVF? Yeah, he's, um, he's gone up and down. Um, at, I know that he... He has expressed that um, when it comes to child loss and IVF, men often feel, or any partner often feel, um, forgotten. It's all about the mum. Yeah. And so he has sort of noticed that and we're really cautious about making sure that he's involved in what he wants to be involved in and his feelings are acknowledged. Um, he's the same. He has gone, or he's gone on and off with Lexapro depending on how he feels. Um, he is a very emotionally intelligent person and we have a lot of in-depth conversations. So I guess we just have a lot of open and honest conversations with us and also the family. He's really struggled through, initially with IVF, he was really positive. He was the one that was like, yep, we're going to, this is the round, this is the round. When I was going, oh no, what did, I was almost preparing myself for the worst because I thought that I'd have less far to fall. Yeah. Whereas he yeah. was always, yep. Yeah, we've got it. But after Leo, which is so the two children we lost at 14 weeks, one was called Bella and the second was called Leo. Leo was actually a genetically tested embryo and we fell into the very, very rare category where the testing was wrong. Oh, my God. Um, that's I was actually going to ask you about that because I wasn't sure what yeah. how that happened because I thought, yeah, you were getting the embryos tested. Then what mm. what happened with... So Bella was a natural pregnancy where oh, we thought right. that we would roll the dice because IVF was, we'd done five rounds of IVF and hadn't got, we had got one embryo to test him that was healthy. Yeah. And we rolled the dice and got pregnant naturally because we have a 25% chance that the baby will be affected and 75% chance that they'll be okay. So we thought, you know, surely we wouldn't get hit twice in a row, but Bella at 12, uh, 12 weeks and 5 days we had a CVS and it came back that Bella had SMA um, oh. so we had to medically interrupt that pregnancy and then with Leo he was a genetically tested embryo but with the testing it's a 95% accurate oh you're kidding and so usually oh. it's okay but we did a NIP test and the baby didn't have SMA but it had a quite a bad chromosome condition oh and we just Literally, you could write medical papers about the level of luck we have. Um, oh, my gosh. I am – that is – I don't uh, even know how – <laughs> the 5% just to – Yeah. Wow. That is I think just, they could count on one hand the number of people that it had happened to and it just happened to hit us. So Leo really knocked Johnny around quite badly. Um, he, we, he was – and actually, we were so sure he was going to be okay because he was. We had done everything right, you know. We had through IVF, we had done all the testing. So Leo knocked him around, and he didn't want to do any more IVF. Um, and we made the decision that we'd do one more round, and that's now where we are now with our 
little poppy that we have. Oh, yeah. Um, but he, I remember when we went in to transfer Poppy and it was at the start, it was around COVID, he wasn't allowed to come into the room for the transfer. And um, I remember he just burst into tears before I went in and I hadn't seen him do that. So, you know, it's hard. Yeah. It is hard. It's the, really I can, yeah, it's, like you said, partners do often feel forgotten, but in, in Johnny's case, I... I just, I take my hat off to him. I'm, you know, going through Fiona's process, um, you know, being her partner and Fee going through pregnancy. I found it hard to, um, to yeah, just watch the person I love go through journeys yeah. that, you know, can really break them. And, and, you know, Fiona's mentioned before she felt completely alone um, and I was like, well, I'm right here. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I, I, awful, it, it's, it's such a strange thing to try and process as a partner that your, that your loved one feels completely alone through this journey sometimes. Yeah. And, but I, I understand it now the way Fee has explained it is because it is almost like a battle between you and your body, just this, this struggle to fall pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it could be, and it is, it sounds like it's very, very isolating sometimes. It's also when you're going through it, even though the partners, I think, think about it so much and they're so there, but when you've got so many hormones going through you and when it's in your body, like every single time I go to the bathroom, I wipe and look for blood. Yeah. Like it's just entrenched in my mind that that's what I do because yeah. Yeah. Um, because I'm terrified and just waiting for things to fall apart and when it's happening to you, it's it's twenty four seven. There's no reprieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've said I've said to Haley, like, I guess I I I don't know. I just can't imagine the level that you would feel. But even for me, it's I don't think I'll actually relax about the pregnancy until right. I'm holding the baby in my arms. Like until that there's that yeah. moment because. I don't know. It's just this continuous, like, is everything okay? And yeah, mm-hmm. you know, just before every scan, anxiety in the lead up, just hoping and yeah. praying that everything's okay. And it's just really hard. And people sort of ask you, oh, you know, they, are they suddenly asking on my Instagram, when can we celebrate? Like, when will be, when will everything be okay? And my line keeps moving because it's, you know, once the HCG is showing that they're pregnant, once um, once you see the heartbeat, once um, you have the nip test, now we're trying to decide whether we need to have an amnio, which is, you know, scary in its own right because do we t- retest the retesting that we've done? That, that comes with a risk. Mm-hmm. So, and then you've got the 20-week scan and it just keeps, the line just keeps pushing out. And for us, when we had Mackenzie, we thought, okay, now she's in our arms, we'll feel safe. Yeah. And then that happened at 10 weeks. Yeah. So it's just such a, it's um, exposing. I guess that, that highlights the importance of what the mission is about, is getting these tests more readily available so that we can have them have them done and so that we, you know, a lot of people out there can't don't have to go through what you've been through. Yeah. Hundred percent, and that's how AIM is Mackenzie's mission. Yeah. So um, it's a government research project. We campaigned the government 
from a month after Mackenzie was diagnosed that this needed to change um, because what was happening around genetics in Australia is just not acceptable. Um, they normally only refer people for genetic carrier screening, which is the test to see if you, what you carry. They normally only refer people that have a family history, but four out of five children born with a genetic condition have no family history. So what they were doing was completely wrong and dangerous, and we wanted that to change. So Kenzie's mission, they announced it in the, Scott Morrison announced it in the May 2018 budget. It was going to be a $500 million genomics project making Australia world leaders, leaders in genetics and the first pilot project from that was going to be Mackenzie's mission which is a $20 million research project into introducing carrier screening into Australia as just sort of a normal thing to offer so hopefully in a couple of years time when people go to the doctor in preparation to get pregnant or in first trimester they're asked just along with everything else you want to have this screening yeah yeah to know that to know that you created such change when when that moment happened when it passed and when it was given that kind of funding what was that moment like um really really emotional I felt so proud like the funding was announced a few months after she passed away she passed away when she was seven months and 11 days old and um and to know that she had a legacy and that she created this I was so proud, but also I felt like I was still being her mum. I felt like I was still able to every day, you know, get up and because I have two of the committees that I sit on when it comes to Mackenzie's mission and I just, I still get to be her mum. I still get to represent her and it's huge. Um, again, I feel so lucky because there's so many people in this world who lose their babies and they don't get what we got. Yeah. 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 It's, it's it's actually incredible to hear that you say you, you feel lucky when you've to, – to, I don't know how else to put it. You've just been through almost I – don't, I don't even know how to put it, what you've been through, but to hear you say that you that you feel lucky to have made this progress is – it's um it's incredibly amazing to hear that. I look at Mackenzie as a massive gift because she's given my life so much and I think that's why I wrote the book as well is because I see so many people who whinge about the smallest things and they just don't have perspective on life and I just want to share what Mackenzie's gifted us because um, you know I just don't want people to think of my daughter as a sad story like I want people to associate her with kindness and yeah. perspective and life. You've written your book, Mackenzie's Mission. You've also got your blog, My Life of Love, and, and your in- yeah. Instagram posts. They're all so incredibly insightful and, you know, at times I've been left in tears reading them and, and other times I'm, I'm smiling and just so proud of someone I haven't, you know, I haven't even met but for going through the journey that you have. Um, but after all all of it, I most of most of more than anything, I feel – almost stronger just having, you know, read about your resilience and, you know, when you first started sharing your story, did you ever think that this was going to have such an incredible impact on not just myself but women all around, the, you know, the world? Not for a second. Like I really, I did not anticipate this. I literally just wanted a space that I could share photos of her because 
I didn't feel like I could do it on my Facebook because um, I felt like there was a lot of fatigue around my pain. A lot of people don't understand how to handle grief, despite the fact that the one thing that is certain in everyone's life is death and it's not to be, you know, morbid or anything, but how we handle grief around, especially child loss, is just so bad. And I just wanted a place to share my daughter. And, you know, I get messages from women saying, oh, I was, my child was screaming last night and I was about to cry because I'm just so sleep deprived. But instead I just remembered about Mackenzie and I cuddled my baby and just being calm and soothing, they fell asleep in my arms and I felt so lucky. Like, I get those sorts of messages on a daily basis and or, oh, beautiful. you know, messages about people who have learned things from genetic carrier screening and thanking us or just people even, like, being so involved and so invested in us having some happiness. Like, just, it's beyond what I could have dreamt of and I'm so pleased that there's like this space around me that people feel like they can come and share their stories which is beautiful. Well Rachel you are by far one of the strongest women I have ever met and I'm sure Fiona feels the same. We feel incredibly privileged to have spoken with you and to listen to you. And thank you for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. You've helped you've helped us, you've helped so many women out there and you still continue to do so. And so from us and from all those women, thank you so much for sharing your story. Well, that was Rachel. She oh, she is incredible. I, I just, yeah. I just, I've run out of words in the dictionary to describe her, but I think it's. Um, everything she's been through, it just literally makes my heart break. And But, but at the same time, to see someone like that tell us that she feels lucky and I'm just like you are you give a new meaning to the word fertility warrior like that yeah. is you are just yeah blows me away I am uh, yeah blown away speechless, speechless. almost which what is not a, good for a podcast <laughs> no but what a beautiful beautiful human and we're so grateful that she came on so that's it from us for today guys if you're enjoying this podcast and enjoying listening to us please rate review and subscribe and if you want to follow us on our instagram page you can catch us at what the ivf podcast thank you again for tuning in for what was a very special episode we hope you have a wonderful week and we'll catch you soon thank you guys